Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we just reviewed our first ever promotional video. Was that exciting for you, Seth? It was very exciting. Thank you, Encyclopedia, for producing such a wonderful and amazing. What did they do? Produced. I'm sorry. Making fun of you. Yes, they had us down. They called footage from, from our two live events. And then they also had us down to their to their studios right off the Great DeCab Industrial, right near a barbecue place and a coffee shop that I love. And uh, we sat there and cut some. What do you call that? B roll? What do you call that? Uh, I don't know what you'd call that. What do you I mean? We sat in front of a green screen. Yeah, we sat in front of a green screen. We cut some audio. Cut some. Cut some video. And you're wearing a green shirt today. Imagine wearing that. What what they could have done with you? In, I guess you melt into the screen. That's what happens. Uh, yeah, it's so good, man. I'm doing. I'm wearing this in honor of the the fallen Celtic Hayward who got hurt in the first first minutes of the opening season. Ugh, opening game of the season. Brutal, Seth. Brutal. Well. On a positive note, this episode features one of your favorite bands, Rob. Yes, and one of my favorite people in the jam scene, Joel Cummins. And, of course, Andy Farrick, too, who rarely does interviews, so it was nice of him to allow us to sit down with him. I think Joel might have been the key to that, making Andy feel comfortable with us. Would would you say, Seth? Yeah, I definitely would say. Uh, I would also say that I was not in the top of my game on that one. That's the Right before that interview, I found out my mom was in the ICU and... uh, He's, he's looking for sympathy now because I'm leaving one of his most embarrassing moments ever in there. So don't fall for that, listeners. Do not fall for that. Oh, do you want to talk about this? Nah, no. Okay. We'll let people hear it for themselves. Or stick around. Hey, listen, Rob, we got new listeners. I know. I've noticed uh, 
Some company sent out an email that uh, used us as an example. The company that you use for our slideshows, can you explain who they are? Yeah, Ripple, R-I-P-L. So if any of the slideshows where you see the photos, the music, all that sort of stuff, there's an app called Ripple. And um, they're they're fantastic. I've been really enjoying their software. It's very easy to use and very professional. But they... uh, Unbeknownst to me, they utilized us for a case study, and they uh, pulled a couple of our um, stats and information. They had emailed me, asked me some questions, and I, I didn't know they were going to do a full case study, um, but they did. And Definitely, that featured us. Seems to reach people because we had a little spike in listens that day, and the next day, and a few days after that, ah. it was an off week of no episode because we thought we were going to put on an episode, but we didn't. So usually, in those weeks, the overall listens dip, and then because of that, they kind of sustained. Very yeah, nice. all and all in all, our um, our listens have been been steady. Um, I'm quite pleased to see where we're at uh, with our listeners. People really like the main squeeze. I got a lot of good feedback on that one. Yeah, they were a fun band. A fun band that I guess a lot of people didn't know a lot of that, the story behind them and Randy Jackson and how they you know the I, uh, about uh, the uh, summer camp and about uh, Bloomington University and all that. Bloomington Indiana University in Bloomington. Excuse me. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. And sorry, Jeff. So, by the way, it's, this is great timing because I do believe... Do believe. I'm going to Halloween, But I think I'm just going to go the first two nights. Oh, are you going to be volunteering with the work exchange team? Is that what's going on there? No, because, but I'll, I will know, make... Positions an, are full. I will make an appearance for you if you... If you would like, would that would that lighten their spirits? No, but, uh, <laughs> hey, this just in. My wife just texted and she says, you guys are adorable. Your wife, is that for real? Yeah, for real. Yeah, she saw the video. I sent her the video. Uh, Huluween. So, yeah, we're, we, you know, Huluween sold out. Congratulations, guys. Two weeks, almost three weeks before the event. They yeah, Two weeks, I guess two weeks. They sold out. Yes, and I guess tonight I'm going. There's Not on the same stage. I, I don't know how far away the stages are. I've only been, I've been to that site many times. I've never been to Huluween. I've been to Bear Creek, which was sort of oh, a... Oh, man, I miss Bear Creek. But yeah, Huluween's definitely... Is, is Bear Creek a parent right. of, of Huluween or no? How, how would you say, Seth? I mean, look, Silver Rapper out of Chicago is Huluween, but the Paul Levine uh, from Purple Hat Productions, uh, who was a partner of Bear Creek. So yeah, there's former a guest, tie-in. Former guest on the show. Uh-huh. Future guest of the show as well, because we'll have Bert from... Uh, Silver wrapper on. We've got a lot of industry folks that we have lined up to come on. We just don't have the time because we don't have a sponsor. If you're interested in sponsoring us, we have opportunities, and uh, we've got the numbers to show you that there is potential. So come on. Yeah, we're getting closer to that, and come we have on. some people working on that, and I, I'm very excited and looking forward to that. It, it, while we're mentioning Humphreys, who, who um, Joe Russo is Humphreys McGee, Joe Russo is Humphreys McGee, or whatever, that's going to be crazy, but um, they have just announced their winter tour. What? Uh-huh. That's kind of why we timed this release. And they're doing three nights at the Beacon, January 19th to 21st. Pretty cool. The Beacon in New York. Yes. Wow. Uh, what, what date were those? January 19, 2021. That might be, um, that's a playoff weekend though. So NFL fans, beware. Are they coming through Atlanta on that tour? or are they? They're doing two nights at the Fillmore in Philly. Great old Philly uh, venue, January 26th, 27th. Actually, it's kind of a new one. I don't know. Is that the old electric factory? Did they turn that into the Fillmore? Not sure. Not sure. Checking out Wings Event Center in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I do believe that's an arena. Two more arenas. On what's in- Keep going on the dates, Rob. <laughs> You're like stalling here. Come on. February 2nd and 3rd, and then another arena. February 16th and 17th in Asheville, North Carolina, the ExploreAsheville.com arena. But I wanted to ask you about that. They end the tour of this thing called Wig Fest in Tampa. Do you know anything about Wig Fest? 
Uh, well, I, yeah, I hear like a bunch of people do acid and they all wig out. Is that what's going on? Whoa, hey, Rob, what's that noise? Oh, I thought that was to cover up the horrible joke. That's interesting. Uh, what is this? This is Seth who complains about a phone. Who was that? <laughs> that was Bob Weir. <laughs> who just turned 70. Happy birthday, Bobby. Happy we wanted birthday. to do an episode, but um, ran into some problems, and it was, it was just going to be a tweener anyways. We, I've got, we got other tweener ideas. We're going to try to squeeze on another episode. We well, have our 50th coming. We're starting, yes, but you, we're, you didn't finish what you started. You, you were talking a second ago about... Yes, Finish what you're saying. Oh, about the to- oh, but the wig fest. I, I don't yeah. really. I, are you familiar with it? I'm I haven't heard of it. I made a stupid joke about it, and then we got tangent. So. You're festival guy. Festival hey, guy. I'm the industry guy, festival and guy. I don't know about it. The wig festival. Go ahead. What, what are you? What are you I, that's it. That's the end of the tour. That's uh, oh, let, they're playing it. I thought you you really you weren't listening then because I did say that. But anyway, let's get back to the interview. This was conducted in Chastain. What did your mother? Another problem with your mother, and you can't focus on the. Uh, Conversation again? No, but I have a question for you. We're going to play a game. Stump Rob. All right, Rob. Jambands.com or Live for Live Music? Okay. Sure. Joe Roos is almost dead to perform two nights in New Orleans during Jazz Festival, and Phil Lesh and Terrapin Family Band to honor Portland. Grateful Dead shows on 50th anniversary. I'm going to read one more headline. You have to tell me which... No, you, I have to hear body of text, not headline. Headlines aren't going to be revealing. Body of text. This is an end of show thing. Let's tease. Let's do this at the end of the show. Stick around. Let's get to the for... Stick around and we'll do this. We'll play a game. Seth will read uh, something and then I'll have to guess which little jam-based publication it's from. Okay. I like it. Uh, so onward to the interview, or do you want to hammer out why you think... Uh, you know that something? other game I want to I do sometime in the future? Can I mention that? Stay away from my mother. No, the what did oh, they... Oh, it was my wife's mother, and still stay away from her. Yeah, that's... Amy never lets me hang out with her anymore. Yeah, there's a reason. It's called a restraining oh, order. Yeah. I haven't said that in, year, in like weeks. Um, I've said it in weeks. You should get a restraining order from the phrase restraining order. Anyway, let's go to the interview, buddy. Here we go. Kevin Matthews, you guys like Kevin Matthews? I do like Kevin Matthews. Yeah, he would. Yeah. We have been on his show. He's come to a lot of our shows too. Oh really? Um, he's up in Michigan now. Jim uh, Shorts. He's Jim, not in Chicago anymore. Jim, no. Did you say no. Jim Shorts? Yeah, Jim, Jim Shorts. Shorts is. Uh, Schwartz Kev, or Shorts? Shorts. Jim Shorts. He's a sports guy. Oh, but only uh, he only he does like only like midget sports though, right? Well, that's not what we call them now, Seth. <laughs> Black midgets. <laughs> <laughs> is that wrong? 
Yikes. Uh, I just got a message from management. They're advising to end the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Are you recording? Are we? Oh, yeah. We're in Charleston. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're in Charleston? Char- we're, in, we're in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> we're sitting with someone who lives in Charleston. Yeah. Charleston. We are deep the Charles in the, River. We are deep in the yes. I know the Charles River well. <laughs> we're deep in the bowels of Chassing Park interview. In Park interview. Here, start again, Rob. We are deep in the bowels of Chastain Park Amphitheater, sitting with Annie Xanadu Farag and Joel AARP Cummins. Welcome, not Cummings, Cummins. Yeah, not uh, sure. AARP either. It's uh, Joel Fuck You Cummins. No, no, it's AARP. It's AARP. Hey, so welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks good to having have you guys. Very good to have nice you. Nice to be down here in the bowels with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk about some recent stuff. I would like stuff. to buy a bowel, please. Like buy a bowel. <laughs> Souvenir bowel. We're in the bowels of the uh, chest and we're going to start with some recent stuff and then go on the way back machine to the early days. Is that cool? That sounds great. Yeah. Um, do you have plans for Halloween how, how are you how do you feel about Halloween moving forward uh, are you thinking about changing the theme are you sticking with the mashups yeah I think we're done with the mashups at Whoa. least, at least for a while we've, we've, already, we've already said that we've already said that no they've already said that we, a while said, ago. we yeah. said that you when said we, you were thinking about phasing them out well, and the whole idea of putting the album out was this was a nice kind of you know oh, yeah, yeah. Ca- capstone, I guess is the uh, the word for it to to that whole era. And um, one of the thing one of the things you know we love playing the mashups, obviously, and uh, they're a lot of fun, but they're really difficult and challenging to pull off in a live setting. And so that was actually kind of the reason why we went in the studio. We wanted to be able to get uh, more definitive versions of it, where we could cover all the parts. Everybody has all the right sounds that they want. So that that was our thought with that so i think uh i think the mashup era has uh has ended for us although you seem to be playing the mashups that are already written you they seem to have entered the repertoire in a little bit more frequent basis than before no not at all really so i've just been getting lucky i've been catching them you could say that i did i just did (laughs) (laughs) literally just did I don't know. What's your, what's your thought process andy yeah uh yeah you know what i agree with joel said but you know as well like we have to change things up you know after doing something for so many years i think we exhausted the idea of it and like joel said we came out with this great album and uh i think going forward you know we're still going to focus on making it like a fun party type of atmosphere on halloween so what about just maybe not mashing up the music but maybe still on the dress i mean is that still uh, or what about just doing humble on halloween i've thought about that actually it's funny did you that, that was like an idea that I had. Have you been looking through my files? No, not anymore. <laughs> he does the research. Not anymore. Vince already gave me the That's what this means, huh? <laughs> yes. Okay. He's a, yeah. He does Mr. the research, Wallet, so. a.k.a. Uh, WikiLeaks. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Um, it's good to yeah, know. Yeah, no, I've thought about that. That could be something that I think might work in the future. I don't think we're going to do it this year because we wanted to uh, kind of give the Umbol thing at least a year off and um, just kind of see where where we were uh, after that, you know, how we felt about it. But uh, we've, we've had a few, few different ideas that we've thrown around so far, and I'm not going to reveal any of them for you here. I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to bring back a year we all dressed as devils and Joel was a nun. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good costume. That'd be fun that. to reprise. Yeah. 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 yeah, except for he doesn't. He won't do it. That was before he got married, and apparently he got none that night. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, am I missing something? <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I'm the one that's missing the mark on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm learning right. to love those moments. So far, we've had about 50% of the audience that's already tuned out. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, See, so yeah. now we've got our real listeners. Check so out our John Fishing episode. All right, if you've stuck around this far, now... <laughs> now we're going to reveal what we're doing for Halloween, right? Do, you, do we really have a new album coming shortly after the New Year? Is that true? Yeah, we've been working. We we went into the studio uh, for about a week back in November, and uh, I was really proud of us for how we did the pre-production in this one. And I, I thought everybody did a great job. Uh, kind of when we get back together and we're like, okay, what are we going to do here? We have a bunch of new ideas that you know various people have worked on that we haven't played live over you know the course of the 24 months since the last uh, album with new material. Um, and then we always have a few riffs and things that we've recorded. You know, it might be 5, 10, 15 years ago that we always just kind of have sitting here like, hey, here's something that we all thought was a cool riff that hasn't found a home yet. You know, I, I still remember this uh, one from Similar Skin that was uh, one of my favorite riffs, and it was originally part of Educated Guests, but then we cut it out of it. The so there's still like this other and we didn't find a place for it on this album so no, it's yeah. still it's still, got cut. <laughs> it's still out there still got cut. but um yeah it was the, the recording process was really fun because uh i just felt like everybody was very prepared and super focused uh we had kind of a um a fun living arrangement at the time brennan is the only one who still lives in chicago we recorded in chicago and so we we rented um, a five-bedroom apartment uh that one of my uh one of my friends families has and so it was great because here we were all together um you know in the studio and then after the studio and then waking up in the same place yeah. and so there was a lot of i think kind of added creativity that was that was you know, promoted or that happened, and then also we all showed up on time together. Right. That was also well, that nice was day. the thing. Like when we all lived in Chicago and we recorded in Chicago, that didn't happen. Oh it yeah, like we it got was way less, way it was less accomplished. A, yeah. yeah. So are there songwriting ideas that are getting thrown around and in, in 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 the apartment and stuff like that? Well, like Jake had a bunch of songs that he had been showing us, and then like we had a bunch of other ideas, and Brandon had songs, and yeah, and and I think a lot of it is also just um, you know like listening and bantering about you know oh hey what if we what if we did this here like this idea is cool but could we you know extend that part or things like that so you know the, yeah I think there was a lot of um, a lot of really interesting uh, it's it was just nice to to really dive in like 110 percent into that creative environment and that was all we did for an entire week just like lived and breathed uh new Humphreys music and got to eat some deep dish pizza again uh um, where'd you go we we might have yeah oh did we yeah maybe yeah. i'm sure we did one night you know uh yeah we, pizza you know. not the no, not no. really the best studio food you know yeah doesn't uh doesn't keep everybody energetic a bunch because it's right down the street pequods yeah now, what about the producer-wise? Same well, one of the studio that's so, done in the past? Yeah, co-producing it with uh, Manny Sanchez and Greg Majors and uh, at Ivy Lab in uh, in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, they, their new studio is awesome. I really mm -hmm. like uh, re recording yeah. in that environment, working in that environment. Um, but, yeah, those guys know us really well, and I think they know how to kind of keep us focused on the task at hand, and they also... Uh, know when it's time to say, "All right, that's it for the day." <laughs> yeah. Well, Non-musicians often wonder when when you're in that environment and the new songs are being created. Is there a tipping point where your bandmate is helping you, 
and then your band right becomes a co-songwriter. What is what is when does it become? Oh, this person helped me out on the song, and wow, this person gets a songwriting credit on the song. I think it, it comes down to uh, when you when the song is being formulated in terms of like melody more so. You know, um, right? Would you say the? Uh, I think I actually learned this from your dad, but yeah. um, from Andy's dad. Yeah, yeah. Henry Farrig is a uh, um, was kind of one of our earliest. Uh, Advisors and, and gurus in the music business who, uh, uh, before we really, I mean, even before Vince was managing the band, like I was kind of trying to get things started and would just call him all the time. But anyway, he, he uh, told me, he said, the, uh, the way, the, how do you determine whether or not you get a songwriting credit is if someone covered your song, would the part that you've created be essential to that, to the cover of it? So, you know, kind of thinking about it that way. Um, but there's also a difference between um, helping with the arrangement and helping with the songwriting. I think that's that's something that yeah. um, you know we're all kind of always chiming in on the arrangement factor. I think that's something that's a pretty pretty wide open thing. When we're in the studio, it's uh, you know if somebody has a couple different ideas or a couple different people have ideas of how something should go, we'll always try both ways and then kind of get a feel for okay what worked better. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and th- and that's why like uh, like when we release improv stuff, it's you know all six of us have songwriting credits because you know or we seven. all arranged it. Yeah, right. With Josh. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I was wondering who the seventh person was. That improv yeah. set in Madison is just crazy. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to talk about that, but I, but I want to stay on this. Are there any Cummins or Farrag compositions or co-compositions on the new CD? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And on the on the spectrum of melodic Umphreys and metal Umphreys, how much of the album is which way, one way or the other? This f- next coming one. I, I think once again we've kind of hit on that um, that sort of anchor drops mentality. I was going to say anchor of, drops of, in between. Of uh, yeah, I mean there there's definitely um, some acoustic guitars scattered throughout, and there's definitely some heavier stuff. There's some uh, there's some dancier stuff. There's some um, more you know, complex song arrangements. More, stuff, more yeah. complex arrangements. There's some that are that are super hooky and uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's uh, I'd say it's the the typical melting pot of uh, of stylistic music that you you'd expect from most Dumfries McGee albums. Some, uh, or some not taking ourselves so seriously. Some more tracks. of a career mashup. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, one of the great things about the band, and quite frankly, your fans, is the um, the way that songs emerge out of your improvisation and they your fans are so they listen so carefully i mean it can be fun vicariously to read you know when when you when you bust out a lyrical stew as they call it there's jimmy stewart's a short for stew a lyrical stew these kids will know what if it's been performed when it was performed and then they'll give ideas whether or not you should compose a song around it now are all your ideas go from improv into song are those all fan sourced or do you guys go back yourselves also and listen to them and and say hey wait let's do something with this one i, think, I know some of them are fan sourced right yeah i would say like 90 90 to 95 percent are fan sourced and depending on you know who you're going to call a fan because um 
John McLennan, Jeremy Welsh, uh, Scott Marks, you know, a lot of these guys. Who, these are icons to Umbreeze fans. Go on. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of these, a lot of these guys who are really familiar with our music, um, we, we get some input, especially from them, chiming in. Um, I think for, for us as musicians, it's just really hard to keep track of that stuff. Yeah. And I always think it's funny when, you know, a fan comes up to me and they're like, Oh, dude, you repeated the ten five oh nine, you know, and and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's it's another interesting thing because there are times when we'll have what people call a repeated stew, or maybe it's a, a repeated baseline, and I call that a stuttering stew. But go on. <laughs> and uh, see, some of them so, are funny. See, <laughs> I'm just laughing for the podcast. Oh, though. all right, I thought that was a five laugh, laugh track. Yeah. I actually thought that was a little amusing. <laughs> And I usually don't. But uh, go on. Yeah. No, but um, I think a lot of the time there are things where somebody that's a fan immediately recognizes, oh, this is a bass line that Ryan played from this or this. It's and like, and I have no idea. To me, it's just, it, it's, right. it sounds like a brand new thing to me. And so as a result, I think most of the time I play something different over something that, that he did, but not intentionally, just because I can't, re- like, there's a different brain process for remembering and listening to something that's happening as opposed to like actively trying to contribute to it. Right. And right. so as a result, we'll get off the stage sometime and somebody will be like, oh, dude, this was the best part of the show. And I'm like, what happened there? Because you're using a different part of your mind to create but, something yeah, in the moment yeah, that, yeah. that you are to receive it then, later. Yeah, then to like receive and remember it. Like I'm, I'm constantly having to um, listen, react, and create in a very short period of time. And like the, the whatever the brain part is that can. You know, say like, oh, remember how that went? Like, the only reason I'm remembering what's happening is if we're going like from a different A section to a different B section. I'm like, okay, we're probably going to come back to that. So remember what you just played, and mm-hmm. I have to take a second to like actually think about that. And you know, so when we come back, I'm not like totally spaced out from what that was. And but I'm well. Let's uh, let's have Andy uh, take sure. on that same question there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I I, you know. I remember some of those the good jams and stuff, and you have to go back and actually listen to them to remember them. I mean, again, like a lot of after some fans are like, "Oh, what was that song you played the first song in the second set?" And it's like literally right after the show. I'm like, I have no clue, uh, <laughs> no yeah. clue. Yeah, you know? but um, uh, it's it's so strange. You know, the, the, one of the weird things that happens to me, listen, because I'll listen back. Um, to some of the kind of you know what I feel like were the the improv highlights of a weekend after it's over, and um, one of the weirdest things is listening back and not really knowing what comes next, but guessing what you're what I'm going to play what in my you, mind. And wow, she like you're an um fan. Yeah. That's what we do all the time. <laughs> um, and most of the time, I don't know if this is good or bad. Most of the time, I know what I'm going to play though when I listen back before right before it happens. Is that good or bad? Uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of well, freaking myself out. What's your out, opinion? So uh, email us at insideoutwtns.com. <laughs> is it good or bad? <laughs> but I want to say this because I'm an old crotchety jerk who's been he going is. to these shows for a long time, and I'm sick to death of people talking at shows. So you have no idea, Humphreys McGee fans, how refreshing it is, how carefully you listen to this band. Thank you, and God bless you. Now, Seth, let's get in the Wayback Machine. Sorry, well, I'm sorry. Let's I, get in the Wayback Machine. I was, I was talking while you said all that. What were you saying? No, don't worry about it. Okay. No, no, it was nothing cool. you'd appreciate. And, and, you know, and I think the, uh, it should go, to, go without saying, but the, the musicians appreciate that, too. And, you know, we obviously want people to have fun at shows and, um, and, 
you know, whether you're, I mean, our top two approved activities are listening and, you know, getting down. So as long as you're doing one of those two things, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. Well, or you work hard. I've seen you guys. You work on the harmonies. I mean, you know, when you're on the road, you're always fine-tuning stuff and getting it right so that, you know, you, you get the you get the listeners you deserve. Go ahead. Well, right. let me ask you this, Andy. Yeah. When the headphones, now li- listeners here, uh, for those of you who don't know, Humphreys McGee has a program where some people can rent headphones. Headphones and snow cones, it's called. And they're able to rent headphones where they're yep. getting a, a, a board feed, essentially, and really being able to listen and mm-hmm. hear everything. Mm-hmm. Now, percussion, a lot of times on a live setting, you lose a little bit of the percussion. Yep. The band hears it, but, but the audience kind of loses it out there. How did it change? How did it affect you? When all of a sudden everyone can really hear you. Yeah, you can. Yeah, no, I, I get feedback from a lot of people that they're like, "Wow, I can really hear every little thing that you're doing back there," and that's great. Yeah, for that, that's that's awesome. You but know? did it change but, your approach or anything at all? Uh, no, not at all. No, but uh, but it's cool. And but at the same time, I also understand like you know, I also at the same time get a, oh man. Tell Chris to turn you up, man. I can't hear you. Turn it up. You yeah, know, we're probably telling, yelling at Chris, and yeah. you know, during the show. <laughs> but that's just the nature of, of percussion. Yeah, you know, it's very mid range. I love when people people down at the front pointing me and put their ears, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> I think if there's a band on earth whose sound man doesn't need tips, it's, it's right. obviously. Yeah. I think they're good in the sound department. Uh, but, but keys could be a little louder too. <laughs> you had a Seth moment. Look at that. All right, Seth. Let's get in the wayback machine. <laughs> Way back in 1996-1997, South Bend, Whoa. Indiana, you were friends with Mike Miro, correct? Uh, 96, yeah, 97. I was still in high school then, yeah. And Mike is the original drummer yep. of Humphreys McGee. Yep. Uh, how did you meet Mike? I met Mike in high school uh, my f- freshman year. He was a sophomore, and... I what school? Andrean High School in Maryville, Indiana. Yeah, and so well, I had a I had a Spanish class with a couple kids, and you know, we were just talking about music or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, my buddy's band, Sweet Leaf, uh, is playing at this festival." You know, it was Mike. It was Mike's band, right? Uh, high school band, Sweet Leaf. <laughs> so then you both go to. Uh, Notre Dame, correct? No, Mike went to. Mike was a year older than me, so he went to Notre Dame. I was still in high school, so met, and met this guy. Okay, so we can we can interject this here. Mike showed up. Um, there was a famous bar, actually, the place where Humphreys played their first show. Bridget McGuire's was the first place I met Mike Miro too. Um, my band Stumper Bob was playing a show there, and Mike showed up. It was uh, a notorious underage bar. Senior in high school. Had you know really crappy fake ID? They let him in, and uh, this the guy that we knew. Uh, what Jim? What was his last name? You remember? Shorts. Shorts. <laughs> yeah, Jim Shorts. Right from earlier. Um, so uh, so he says, uh, "Hey man, I got this. I got this kid. He's thinking about coming to Notre Dame next year. Uh, you should let him sit in on drums. He's awesome. And um, God bless our drummer. You know, at the time." He, uh, he he had a little thing where you know it was a college band and and he liked to drink and as the night went on things got progressively worse. So was his uh, name Seth? So so Mikey came up and sat in with us that night and everybody in the band was kind of like, 
wow. If we can talk this guy into coming to Notre Dame next year, we got a drummer. So I made that my project, and uh, I called Mike a couple times over the summer, and I think I might have even like gone and hung out with him a little bit. Um, but I was telling him, I was like, listen, man, he's trying to decide between Notre Dame and University of Colorado. Did he play tennis? Um, not really a big tennis yeah. guy, yeah. And uh, you definitely wanted to go to Notre Dame for tennis at that point. Right, they had right, like the best coach, the guy who invented tennis. I think. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure the winningest uh, guy who ever invented tennis. So, right. um, yeah. So I called him up and I was like, "Listen, man, if you come to Notre Dame, you're going to get a good education." I was like, "Not only that, you're going to be in a band that is already out there and was well known, making money." I'm like. I, we're going to get you into any bar you want to get into. Like, just think about, like, meeting a girl. How much cooler are you going to be? You'd be like, hey, yeah, I play in this band with a bunch of uh, juniors and seniors, you know. So um, I think I convinced him. You know, and weed wasn't legal in Colorado yet, so. No, no. And I feel really bad because, obviously, I didn't really know very much about University of Colorado. I was like, how cool can it be? You know? It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I talked about it that one. I, I've, you know, feel kind of bad about that. But Umphreys yeah. McGee would have never happened if that had never been the case. So and Mike you did was, get laid, right? Uh, oh, for sure. So, yeah, it definitely, did, definitely did. helped his cause. Um, but uh, that was so we we did Stomper Bob together for I guess it was three three years before Umphreys McGee happened. So Mike and I were uh, always playing together. Um, I don't know if we want to pick up now back where um, sure sure back where Andy was. So we can actually go from the beginning again. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, uh, I'm still a senior in high school. Mike goes to Notre Dame, and then. I start sitting in with uh, Stomper Bob every yeah, once in Mike, a while. Mike tells us, he's like, hey, I got this uh, buddy of mine that I think would come up and play perk with us. Should I invite him up? You know, we're like, all right, whatever, yeah. sure. So yeah. I, how guitar heavy was it? I mean, I'm fascinated by Snares. how the band oh, changed and how you incorporated percussion into it. Like, I don't know a lot of the pre-Jake Umphreys. You had some bombast, right? You're talking about uh, early Umphreys, not Stomper Bob now. Yeah, moving okay. on to Umphreys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is it hard? It's such, For both you guys, it's such a guitar-oriented band. Is it hard to find your space in it? And then when you do, is it like, ah? You know what I mean? It's so guitar-driven. We're all freaking guitar freaks. Or a lot yeah. of us coming to the show. No, that, no that, it's great. That's I think a, That's a natural thing to be. And, and yeah. uh, At the beginning. Yeah, at, well, at the beginning... Uh, you know, Mike and I were, were listening to a lot of, uh, you know, Afro-Cuban uh, how-to videos and Santana videos. And, Beastie Boys. And ton of Beastie Boys and stuff. And, uh, you know, just try and work out certain uh, more like Latin rhythms, not really uh, traditional to rock and roll, you know. Is that why you studied under Giovanni Hidalgo? Um, or was that after? That was before. That was right when I started playing percussion. So is it an argument that Giovanni Hidalgo hasn't had an influence on Humphreys McGee? Sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and Mike yeah, and I absolutely. went and saw Giovanni play uh, at Ravinia in Chicago one year. Did you go with us too? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't okay. go to that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think more than anything, when we were getting started, um, I don't think we were thinking as much about like the guitar heavy thing. That that was something that we talked about and and we talked about uh inviting jake to play with us in the summer of 1999 Mm -hmm. um a year before he joined the band um their original bass player uh carl decided to leave alibaba's and so we were out on tour at that point when that happened 
and we had planned when we got back to be to talk to Jake, you know, about joining the band then. And we got back home, and they'd found a new bass player, and we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we put that idea on hold. Um, Alibaba's without Carl Engelman? Well, uh, Khalil Smiley played on the last two albums they put out. I don't think I've heard yeah. any of that. Oh, he's awesome. He just cool. he wasn't a big fan of touring, so you know uh, that was always a little bit of a challenge for him. But That's um, a thing with Alibaba's bassists, I guess. Yes. I don't like to tour. Yep. Don't like to tour. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, from the earlier stuff, obviously, Brennan and I were kind of fulfilling more of the melodic interaction idea, but, um, it, we, you know, we were writing songs trying to trying to figure out what sound we wanted and trying lots of different things. So, you know, you hear stuff like the kind of Afro-Cuban Latin flair in a song like Thin Air, that's one of our earlier songs. Prowler. And uh, Prowler, you know, that, yeah, definitely another good early example of something where... Um, you know, we, we had that kind of making its way into it. Um, we had a lot sort of jokier music, I feel like. And I, I think mm-hmm. some of that was Mike's personality, for sure, uh, just being a goofball. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we certainly weren't taking ourselves seriously, and maybe we were taking ourselves a little too unseriously uh, to, <laughs> to start with. Um, some of the things that we did, I mean, I remember playing an encore in Nashville where we, we came out, we played... Uh, the what is it called? The ballad of Jimi Hendrix. The yeah, dead. We did that and then walked off the stage, like without even a good night. Uh, then we came back and it's, played like the for taste and more. It's encore. <laughs> yeah, we did the skit, okay. the commercial. <laughs> you know the commercial where it's so like the guy buys too much food and the guy invites himself over for encore dinner. You guys don't know what I'm talking about? Um, no. oh, you for did the commercial for yeah, Taste Amore at Encore? Yeah. yeah. It's like Yola Tango doing That was our Encore. Yeah. And it was right when Chris joined the band. And he was like, what are you guys putting me up to? Like, why yeah, am I yeah. getting dogged into this? No, so I, I think that there were um, some gradual steps, really, of the, the, the band kind of finding its sound. And, um, you know, Andy being in the band, uh, I mean, it was the probably only like six months where he wasn't officially in the band. And then we kind of had, I felt like we had a, a much deeper um, uh, sonic, uh, I don't know, palette, I guess, to choose from as far as percussion goes and what we could do. That really, that was the first thing that really opened things up for us. And then, obviously, having Jake in the band changes everything because he's, I mean, you know, he gave Brendan guitar lessons for a while uh, before we started. And so some of the like songs like Der Blutenkot that have these really interesting mixed meter riffs and uh, uh, kind of um, hemiola things going on are, th- are things that I think Jake and Brennan worked on together when like when he was uh, when he was taking lessons from him. So that immediately became it just opened new worlds of possibility. Well, what about this? You have like 50 billion keyboards and you have all kinds of percussion instruments. When Jake joins the band, does that cause you to reevaluate what you're bringing with you uh, for the gigs? Did, did you change um, your sound or your approach at uh, all? I, I uh, well, in terms of Jake, like he's very percussive the way he plays. You know, he's a drummer, so. I think it actually opened up a lot more stuff for me in terms of being able to like play off what he does and mimic what he's doing, you know, uh, rhythm rhythmically. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, both of our rigs over the years have just expanded and keep expanding. It's a little bit of a competition over on our side <laughs> of the stage. <laughs> Definitely yeah. have the most inputs. Yeah. 
So we, we crushed Bayless on that nightly. Yeah. You know, very few amps over there for him. Um, but for me, it wasn't as much like choosing. I mean, I, I knew the sounds that I that I wanted to have for the band. It was more about how I played. I, I think that changed a little bit, and part of it is was just allowing um, Brennan and Jake to to be able to you know really get to know each other, how they do things melodically, and to try to stay out of the way, but really to inform the more harmonic side of what we're doing. So I feel like a lot of times when they're um, you know, trading leads or doing things that are that are really uh, harmonically intertwined. It's my job to give that context between the bass and whatever's happening. You know, as far as the voicings of chords and notes. And so there's a lot of. Um, I feel like I, I really kind of found um, found my voice in a lot of different areas of, of trying to trying to develop my uh, my listening and hearing so that I could uh, so that I could do more complex things inside of what's happening between the guitars and the bass. And then we get on to a drummer change. Have you seen Reel to Reel, the thing Waffle did? Of course. We get into the last days of of Mike Miro being in the band. Um, We get little windows of it, but how much did you guys really try to talk him into staying in the band? When he told us, we were in the middle of a tour in October of 2002, and it was was getting toward the end of that tour, and he he told us then, and I, I mean, I think we... We t- that night we were like, "Are you sure this is what you want to do?" Like, and yeah, you know, he he's just set. like, "I he made up my set. mind. Yeah. Like, don't even try to talk me out of it." Yeah. You know, you were down here somewhere, weren't you? In the south, uh, we were in uh, like uh, Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, yeah. eating dinner at uh, Bilbo Baggins <laughs> in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, watching, watching uh, Steelers, uh, Colts, Monday Night Football. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it amazing? We, the random things that you can remember. <laughs> I have no idea what we uh, opened the second set with last night, but that Steelers Colts game. That goddamn shrimp was good. It was yeah. a significant day. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you guys, at some part of you thought the band was ending, right? Well, sure. yeah. yeah we, we immediately, you know, I mean, we kind of, the rest of us got together that night. We went back to the hotel and, you know, just said to each other, um, this was obviously a completely blindsided thing. None of us saw it coming. And is everybody else on the same page? Do you guys want to keep playing? Is everybody in? Or if, if, you know, if you're not feeling it right now, it would be a good time to say, you know what? I, I think I need to do something else with my life. And everybody else was like, no, we, we believe in each other and let's, let's keep trying to make this happen. Um, and you know, yeah, there were, there was definitely the thought that, okay, this could be, I mean, I, I just feel like it's very rare that, changing members in a band actually works out mm-hmm. you know it's it, finding that special chemistry is is not something that you can just put people together and it happens mm-hmm. but you guys also worked hard or at least open you guys opened your mind and and your work skills to to make that opportunity for someone to come Although it was it was like the first tape though still yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that like, part of it, it was, was super weird <laughs> yeah well I'm wondering is what do you have any memories from those gigs immediately after that day in Shreveport was it, did the weirdness spill onto the stage at all yeah I, well we were we had we had we had shows in like Dallas we had a handful of shows left on that tour and then and then we had well I don't know in November it was the Chicago it was the Chicago thing the uh, uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's like but, a Halloween. But yeah, we by had like, a, but by like end of November, or December, we had already told Chris he was in the band. So it was like quick. It was much, much quicker than we would have ever thought. Yeah. Well, and part quick. of it was that 
it just was such a an emotionally exhausting process of you know actually having someone come out and play mm-hmm. and you're thinking like okay can I put up with this person's uh, do I like how they are musically and then like you know do do you want to be my best friend for 20 years <laughs> you know kind of thing right, like, right. you know so I think that part of it speed dating really is like speed marriage t- yeah. totally totally speed and you know we'd, we'd hung out with Chris he was a Chicago guy and um, jazz chops. Well, I was about J- to say, well, yeah, he has a jazz, jazz chops, chops and a metal heart. So, so how how did that uh, affect your? You know, both yeah, of your that's playing? exactly what I was leading to. How, did how does what? changing to Myers change your? I mean, probably more uh, you than you. Well, I mean, so, uh, just Andy affect, then affect, Joel, Andy more Andy than Joel. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, affected um, awesomely. You know? <laughs> well, did it just, make you go back and start working and reeducate sure, yourself? Sure. Yeah, and and and. Uh, you know, he he was very interested early on on like things that me and Mike worked on, and you know he was very interested on things that Mike uh, did. You know, but still putting his own flair to it. Yeah, and you guys so, updated some things. I mean, there. Oh, for sure. I, I feel like there were a lot of songs that that um, that gradually improved. That's one of the things I even feel like over the first five years, we kept making little changes to things. Uh, as Chris, you know got more comfortable with the catalog and he's like yeah can we can we do it this way instead thinking like uh syncopated strangers jake does Mm -hmm. this really nice guitar solo at the end of it and we used to kind of swing that a little bit and he's like guys 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 we got to stop swinging it this (laughs) this needs to be straighter this is much much deeper pocket if we just keep it straight can we just keep it straight you know and so yeah we, uh, you know, I remember that was one of those that I was a little bit resistant to. I was like, "All right, all right, fine." We'll and his uh, his audition tape was perfect too because it was a uh, it was his old uh, fusion band, Kick the Cat, and it was just like you know a ton of like uh, you know you got jazz, funk, and all touched on a, duffer, uh, a bunch of different genres, and it was like you know, perfect to you know put that in context with what we were doing, and just kind of happened supernaturally. So. I think to go back and answer the second part of your question, which was how did you know how did your approach or how did, what changed then when Chris joined the band? One of the things very early on that that Chris had us all working on was that he wanted to not just be the timekeeper of Humphreys McGee. He wanted to add some more creativity to what was happening behind the drums. And he's like, "Look, you need to keep your own time." don't expect me to be showing you where the downbeat is all the time and so that's that's still something to this day you know chris will go off and do something completely unexpected and you know in the middle of a somebody soloing or um you just have to be ready for that and i think that's a really good lesson for musicians everywhere is um you know you've you got to have that internal pulse so that uh, if somebody else in the band does something that's unexpected, you don't you don't lose where the downbeat is. So I thought, yeah, I thought one the quick, next one day quick though, Vince showed up and gave everybody uh, metronomes. What's that? I thought Vince showed up the next day and just gave. We don't metronomes. use Polish metronomes. No. But I, can someone else step in and take the pocket? Can another instrument handle the pocket, or does just the oh, pocket remain the pocket. and the drum comes back to it? Well, yeah, sure. No, yeah. The, the pocket's always there, um, but it just depends what's being accented. You know, it's more about what's you know syncopating things and yeah. being able to identify these these really small you know 32nd note syncopations and things like that so um yeah he, i think he just got us to look at things more precisely uh rhythmically and um and really address the and the, you know the other big thing that uh that i i've really enjoyed is um 
Chris will, you know, depending on certain sections, he'll be like, okay, guys, really lay back on this groove. And so everybody will play a little more behind the beat, you know, when he'll call that out and he'll be like, okay, back to like tight so, pocket then, you know. And so instead of uh, a musician coming in and actually just learning all your stuff and just taking over and fulfilling the whole, the void that needs to be filled, he actually came in and, and was like, uh, a musical, not a musical director. He fit but brought, right into the democratic he, process. He, yeah, he brought. Yeah, let's brought, let's not. We may need to get rid of that. We don't want him to hear those words. You know, um, <laughs> but is that no? Not, it's. But, but I, I think point, to, to your point is we, yeah. We were very welcoming to, you know, we're, Chris. We don't want you to just drum. Like, let's. What do you want to contribute to what we're doing too? So maybe uh, it's your way of saying, wow, you guys were really open minded with the new member. Yes, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> But one of the things you guys are ho-hum about that's really special about the band is the democratic nature, that you can throw these... I've watched you when Bridgeless was new. I was at the House of Blues in Chicago and watched you guys work through it. And even though Brendan was kind of at the control and everybody was throwing ideas at him, it was just ideas flying around. And the fact that you guys are able to let those ideas flow kind of maximize the part of the whole of summer greater, some of the, greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing, Right. Because you're actually maximizing all the minds of everyone there. Does it ever get contentious, though, about arrangements or how things should go? Uh, I'm not not too much. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. Like a lot of times, if someone has an idea, we just say, "Hey, let's try it. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't you, work." Then you look you at know? that shit. But uh, what if like half think it, half think it worked, half like thought it worked, and half didn't? I mean, does that ever? Does it ever? Uh, no, well, I think eventually someone caves in, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we've we gotten better at having logical debates yeah, about right. things without it getting heated. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for example, today, uh, I wrote a set list, and, uh, and then Ryan decided that he was going to write a counter set list. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Now... So you guys, you just, I mean, it's choose, amazing choose to me from the beginning and the end, and kind of work the way. For, yeah. First of all, it's amazing to me that like he didn't have anything better to do with his time, you know. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, but what did we do? So eventually, the two of us got together and were like, okay, let's just try to do this together, and we'll see if we can take the greatest hits from each it's one. Like a little NFL draft kind of deal yeah, going on there. Yeah. Talk yeah, about so. just real quick. Talk about setless probation and how do you get on setless probation? Give us an example of how probation. you got on setless probation. Um, well, for instance. And so, uh, you, Rob Turner, yeah. you uh, always request No Diablo, and so we feel a lot of pressure to put it on there when you request it. And after like the fifth show in a row of No Diablo, it's like, all right, Joel, you know, listen, we like Rob too, but get, like, just I don't know. It'd be nice if you listened to a different Humphrey song than that. Yeah, just it'd be nice. And and here's the thing, though, the just for the listeners, do real guys, quick, do you guys also look out there and and say, but if we don't play it? He's going to take off his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I actually request nachos, and they don't have the balls to play it, so they say I request no doubt. Oh, yeah. It's that we don't have the balls. God. Yeah. Get a girl set and play nachos. Yeah. That's like, that's like me saying to you, um, could I have your mixtape that you made in 1987? Because I'd like to judge your the character thing is, by he then. probably fucking has it, And it though. would be awesome, <laughs> and I'd be proud of it. But if you do nachos with the current you guitar really tones, you really are an asshole. Yeah, totally. If you do nachos with the current guitar tones and extend the uh, keyboard part, it would be great. But let's not dwell uh, on that. Industry side, listen, man. Side. I I agree. I wrote the damn song. Okay. It. And the fans, Thank you. the fans would go crazy. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's go to Bonner of two thousand four. Whoa, 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 I wasn't. Uh, no, one, you go one, ahead. Go one ahead. more comment. Sure. Uh, in the in the realm of Chris coming into the band and all yes. this sort of stuff, um, you guys had. 
all the stuff you guys are talking about is sounds to me as this band that really works. Like, you're not just a band. You you actually are musicians that work. Like, it just sounds like you're jo- like this is your job. And you guys take it very seriously. Has that changed throughout? Was, did or did, was Chris coming in a boost to that? And, and yeah, did has he sustain force you back into you know reevaluating yeah. things and going at it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he. His first show that following we, January, we had to relearn yeah. every song. Yeah, yeah, he learned <laughs> you know? he learned a bunch of songs super quick, and uh, yeah, we were back in the van and rolling around, and yeah. But I, I think the 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 real thing that has helped us on the road is having practice gear backstage because now getting things done on the road and being able to practice stuff. There's um, this expression that that I learned from Paul Schaefer in his book. Um, and he's always talking about how the hardest thing for him was the pressure of time when you only have a limited amount of time to rehearse something with somebody and you're expected to nail it. Which right? he probably dealt with on a daily basis, Schaefer did. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With different artists coming in for the Letterman show and everything. Um, but so for us now, we don't have to have everything done in sound check. You know, there, back in the day before we had practice gear backstage, there were times when soundcheck would be an hour and a half long and you'd walk off the stage exhausted because, mm-hmm. you know, you, that was your only opportunity to rehearse stuff. Well, mm-hmm. now we have it so that we have practice gear backstage. If we have things that we need to do, we'll get together earlier in the day. You know, we also, an hour before we hit the stage, we get together and warm up together and go through, you know, tricky passages or transitions. So I, I think that there's, um, we've, we've identified the really good ways for us to prepare and to also have, you know, being on the road, a, a lot of people don't understand that 80% of your day is not making music. <laughs> so just doing shit like this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sitting around mm-hmm. talking to you guys. Um, no, but I, I think it's important that you have an opportunity to like add another 10 to 15% of your day of being music, yeah, yeah. whether it's together as a band or, you know, if you want to go practice and work on something by yourself. I mean, we do that all the time individually. So it's just nice to have that, that added musical outlet to where we can get things done on the road. Then it takes a little pressure also mm-hmm. when we're not on the road. Now we don't need to get together as much off the road. Well, now before you did the, before you went into the studio, uh, were, were you on the road and were you working on some of the stuff that you were going to take into the studio? Uh, this, most, this most recent yeah. time? Yeah, we just finished up. That was the good part of it. Oh, right, right, we, right. we just finished up a bunch of weeks of it shows. It was right after Halloween. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, were, we were nice and lubed up. Yeah, but you so got, were you use, using the rehearsal, uh, the backstage rehearsals? No. Uh, spaces, no, so. yeah, we, no, we were rehearsing, rehearsing mashups for yeah. Halloween. So. <laughs> but it was more about listening and being prepared. Like we'd, been, we'd all been, you know, for like the three months leading up to that, talking and, you know, an ongoing conversation about... You know, here's some things that, that we want to work on. And it was more about knowing them in your head, knowing the parts in your head. And, you know, a lot of the things I went through and actually played some of the riffs and things for things that we didn't even end up using. But I think everybody was kind of on the same page. And like Andy was saying, we were just, you know, we were feeling good from being on the road and we were playing well together. So that undoubtedly helped us uh, be tighter in some of the earlier yeah, recordings. Sure. Absolutely. All right, Rob, what were you going to say? The rehearsal space even helps you? I mean, what kind of percussion setup can you have in the you backstage? Uh, my The ratio from my stage setup <laughs> to my rehearsal setup is is the biggest. <laughs> so is are, 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 are no, they actually I just, I just have a practice pad with, with sticks. Um, and just your, because... Uh, 
What's the box? Yeah, called? I have a cajon. Yeah, uh, but that, that hurts my hands when I'm like rehearsing on it. So for me, like rehearsal backstage has to be more mental practice, mm. and I, I do like a lot of rudiments and stuff. Uh, warming up. That's cool. The band so. is at Cajon. Once they get Cajones, they'll play nachos. Were you yeah. in the uh, marching band or anything like that when you were in high school? No. Two Cajones. No, I started, I started uh, <laughs> playing drums when, uh, like, uh, sophomore into sophomore year into junior year of high school. Who was the... Uh, when I met Mike. Who is, who is the artist or artist that really inspired you to say, I want to play drums or percussion? Beastie Boys, right? Beastie Boys uh, instrumental yeah. album. yeah. I would say Beastie Boys, definitely, or, you know, listening to all the Santana things. But That's what I was going to guess. But uh, Beastie Boys, for sure, they always had uh, tracks that were had a ton of percussion in it. Specifically, Eric, what's Eric, his name? Eric Bobo. Have you ever met him? No, but he also played in Cypress Hill and House of Pain as well. Yeah. So you see he's still alive? I think so, yeah. Well, Bobo, if you're listening... I think he's in L.A. I think <laughs> he's in Lewis L.A. You did it, you can too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hugh Lewis, Mavis Staples. Oh, you, yeah. I about the Staples. Uh, Buddy Guy. Buddy Guy, Joshua Redman. Redman uh, Redman's a big one for me. Yeah, we love we love when you guys have the jazz cast. Me too. Uh, me too. But I don't want to jump ahead because I still okay. meet okay. people who first saw you at Bonnaroo in 2004. Now, when you got that gig, did you know it was going to be a big gig? And did you, did you like, rehearse the set? At all, um, how, what, what was what the preparation? That was, was the, that the, the big one? overnight one. That you, yeah. I mean, I mean, come on. If is there a more single event that blew you up more? And I know was, the gradual growth is a beautiful thing, but come on. Was that, that, that the was, one where Chris was in a speedo and a? Cowboy I hat? think that was the year after that. Two thousand four though was, was definitely one of them where we played to sunrise. Yeah, I mean, Ma- we we felt that way about the first Bonnaroo. Yeah, you know, two thousand two that we played where we'd been playing to you know, on good nights, three hundred to five hundred people. And all of a sudden, we played in front of 10,000 mm-hmm. people and in the, the afternoon. On shitty nights, and the power goes out. Yeah, it was a photo guy who kicked out the power, <laughs> knocked out the power on the stage. We got a name? Got yeah. a great photo of it, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I don't know. That, that late night was definitely something special. I mean, I think that... Um, I, I think that we had just put out Anchor Drops, or were just putting out Anchor Drops, but I remember having some of those songs from that album that I was like, oh, these are good late night songs. Uh, Tinkles and Mulchays and Kitchen. You know, there were a lot of... And I think that was also the one... That 2004 was the one where Mo played our set break and Vince came and dressed oh, right. as James yes. Hetfield. So this was always... Uh, and sang lead. A, a very bittersweet event for Humphreys McGee because it was the first time we were uh, featured on the front page of the Bonnaroo Beacon. But uh, which member of the band was it? It was our most famous member of the band, <laughs> our manager. The guy who misspelled your name on Flyers back in the day, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, not on Flyers, on our first uh, album. On the album. Yeah. Those go for like three hundred or three hundred and fifty yeah, bucks each. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You just said they go for like three hundred, three fifty. Yeah. Something tells me he has them all, and that was his master plan. He was that yeah. was his investment. I got one he was of them. being smart. He's like, you Seth know wants what? to auction them. He's getting a little auction. Already. I think we're giving him too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> now Browning, on the other hand, he may have a stash. I could see that, <laughs> guys. He's sly. Talk about Kevin because he's. <laughs> um, well, Talk about the transition he made into management, yeah, if you don't he was mind. A, he was a sound man, piece. but he's also a well, savvy businessman. He was right. He was very clever because he got us to fire him up into upper management, <laughs> um, and you know, and he was like, "You guys can fire me. I want you to fire me right now." No, and he, I want, he didn't, he didn't and I want a severance package. Yeah, <laughs> um, golden parachute. Well, he, here's the thing. So, 
I think we realize, you know, we're, we're a band that went in it from the beginning. Um, I was kind of, I had been getting deals for Snobber Bob and South Bend, so I just kind of naturally fell into it. I was like, okay, I looked at Brennan and Ryan and Mikey, I was like, this band isn't going to last if any of them are in charge of the money, you know? It was going to be bad. And, uh, you know, Brennan is great at a lot of things. Really good at a lot of things, but uh, no, I'm I'm just messing around. But um, uh, so you know, we we hired Vince. Um, he was still working in AT and T, but he wanted. He was like, "Look, I want to do this full time. I don't want to work for any other band. I just want to work for you guys." And so it turned out. I think that was really a fortuitous thing because there's so much to be done at any given time that having somebody who's just solely focused on what you're doing now granted Vince does uh, help manage Yonder Mountain now too yeah, I, so say, right. I gotta give you but, guys a lot of credit though there's a lot of bands that get that as they move on up they right. shed their managers and, right. and you've done a great job of keeping it and he's done a great job of you know well we're, we're a very delivery. familial business and you know when we got to it was uh, I think 2000 nine or so it was like right after mantis that right after that came out and you know we were just realizing that there was no way for us we were trying to figure out how to keep up with all the things that we needed to do and as uh the digital revolution kind of became more and more important and getting more consistent content out there became more and more important you know it's just impossible for kevin to do it from the road and so he kind of floated this idea out there about him you know creating his own position and our our deal to him we were like well you know if you can create enough new revenue that you pay for your salary and and then some you know then you know we'll see how this works and if you can't do it then we'll cross that bridge when we get there but he did so far (laughs) 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 yeah um if you're a fan of Humphreys mcgee you should know the name kevin browning yeah no and it was really important i think to let Vince focus on a lot of the things that he's really good at. I mean, his the the day to day and the touring is kind of his realm, as well as the a lot of the the kind of business relationships. Yeah. And you know, as you know, that's so much of the the music business. Just you know, keeping these things going. And uh, uh, Kevin Kevin's role kind of naturally fit into the uh, the content, the technology, the social media. Um, you know, running the Chicago office. Vince is down in Charleston. Kevin is in Chicago, so we have a split office situation, and um, and and so I, I think you know, kind of generally defining their roles and then letting them cross over, you know, with whatever they want. I'd say that's that's something that's worked out pretty well and has played to both their strong suits, and then has also given us the ability to do a lot more than we would have been able to do. Um, it's just so important to keep putting new things out there, and you know. It's like, rather than give, giving people, uh, you know, a huge new batch of things to digest, it's more important to have consistent things coming out week after week to keep people's attention and to... Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> but there's another thing, an, another difference between rock and roll and other businesses is that on the one hand, you want to grow your company, but on the other hand, you don't want to build such an overhead that there's a, an implied pressure to tour. We learned from the Grateful Dead, sadly. Um, so how do you how do you walk that line? You you want to you want to grow. You want to you want to have stuff done, well, but you're scaling back every year about 10, 15 gigs. You're going to be playing yeah. probably less gigs every year moving forward. So hopefully, it seems like a tough balance. Yeah, I mean, as long as you know we we scale back those gigs, but we still have to be increasing our revenue. And you know, when we if we hire somebody, it's well, can we even afford it? You know, kind of thing. So we 
we don't just go and like we need we think like we need a bunch of things done or extra people to do stuff and just go hire somebody. but are you more inclined to hire part-time as opposed to full-time benefits you know what i mean like how yeah. many full-time people are on are in the umphreys mcgee organization that are getting benefits and full-time salary is that okay to ask uh i mean i probably couldn't tell you in the 20s because <laughs> the uh, dead got up to in the 50s from what yeah, i understand i mean we've got everybody who's on the road uh so that's Eight, eight of us, eight crew guys, six band guys, um, 14 or 15, and then uh, two managers, and then Rachel and Heller. So that's, uh, we're, we're at about 20. Yeah, we're right at about 20. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, like when, so a, a big change for us, summer of 2012, we realized that we just, we weren't doing what we thought we could do in the merch department and so we hired uh louie who a lot of our fans know and uh and britches to come out on the road with us and um and louie said look my goal is this N- this year we're going to get it up to averaging three dollars ahead next year it's going to be four dollars ahead the year after that we're going to get up to five dollars ahead as far as how merch was going and apparently he did it by giving everyone head <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> sal come on you put you guys brought me right there talking about people in the industry making yourself useful that's something you always say louis doesn't just do the merch you louis also help him off a lot in the lights well he, well, he, he's, he's new, we, new we promoted him yeah. yeah um so he got our whole merch thing going and we we brought out uh sam sutton now who is a uh formerly and maybe still i don't even know uh a pin guy who is making a living off of selling pins which is fucking impressive yes it's <laughs> sharp guy. um but i think the point is is that um you know louie ran something called midwest peeps before and both louie and sam are very in touch with our fans and they understand the sort of things that our fans are looking for absolutely and so that was a huge step in the revenue department you know of of getting more in touch with what it is that people want and is crazy as that seems it's a lot harder to do in merchandising than the average person yeah. is going to think well one for for one thing you know we all are getting older and and the, and the fan bases are are as well but they're also getting younger too and and trends change and it's not just t-shirts it's not just water bottles i think that's the biggest mark that if anyone out there in the industry is listening that is the biggest mark that people are missing when it comes to merch it's not about just having merch you have to have things that people want yeah and i think you guys hit it there that you were very fortunate to have someone like that and that you guys were open enough to be to recognize that yeah well we also realized that in the end that's going to benefit the entire organization you know um so 
Yeah, so Louis kind of said the same thing, you know, and we were like, look, if this is something where we can bring you guys out on the road and we can see that revenue is increasing, then great. You've paid for yourself and we can make this work. And, you know, we, we believed in those guys and gave them a shot and they worked their asses off. And, and yeah, we, to answer your question, yes, we did get there. So um, it's it's been really interesting to see it happen. And, you know, a lot of, um, you guys didn't really mention this, but um, the show posters are just a huge thing for, Talk for this scene. That. Um, well, it's been really interesting. I don't know what most bands do, but um, Rachel and Louie um, have kind of spearheaded the uh, poster, the artist poster series. And so you we poster have... poster every show? Yeah, we have a... Um, not every show, but for a lot of shows, for, for probably at least 50%. And so we, uh, we hire, you know, we probably have 20 to 25 different artists that we work with each year to create these. And I think that really... Um, that's something that's cool too, because a lot of these artists have people that follow them individually, yes. and um, and it, it's just nice to get a different uh, a different spin on on having that, and to see the fans how but much they like the fans really. They're, they're, and it's a it's a certain a certain group of the fans that are yeah. that really like. I mean, they like getting to the show, coming early, early and everything, waiting in line. And the yeah. thing is, and I started when we started, we we've been talking about doing this on the podcast and talk, talking to more fans. But one of the things without doing it on the podcast that I found is that some of these fans like why would you want to go and wait in line and it's uh, you know be it be it, you know, for a poster and, yeah, and the fist festivals that's ridiculous it's but like yeah right right but, huge it's, line but it's, that's that's what they do and it's a community thing because they know all the other people that are doing the same thing and that's that's their hang it's like cassettes yeah, right. their hang right. yeah. 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 so to each their own but it's yeah. um but then there's there's certain people. Uh, there's one fan here in Atlanta that literally has every single poster that you probably have, uh, every show he's ever seen of yours. Every like, I mean, it's, you get to a point. Is where, it Rob? Uh, oh, I'm not a poster guy. <laughs> yes, but not that. One. If anyone wants to give them to me, I know, yes, but not that one. Oh, but mustache I, but, Rob? But I, yeah. And I was, oh, all right. And I've always meant to ask him when you have 500 Humphreys posters and fish but what do you do with it? Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a wall that's like you press the buttons like today I'm gonna look at Fillmore yes that's right let's, yeah. let's not ask him that question just let him keep buying yeah. posters okay okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> alright Josh you can take that part out <laughs> but I'm like, don't throw me on the road <laughs> there's definitely more young people uh, last night Birmingham a lot of young people a lot of women which wasn't the case you know that's a big big thing it's a true thing. Ten years ago, there were not nearly as many women at Humphrey shows. Yeah, and, you know, I th I think that that, to, to me, that's something like, we, we've definitely tried to play more, I, f I feel like the songs with lyrics, the, the dancier stuff really... Joel, uh, Joel started wearing tighter shirts. Yeah, I started wearing out. tighter shirts. We noticed... Uh, that nice was the men, too, actually, though. <laughs> the men as well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I think playing a lot of the the festivals like uh, you know Bonnaroo and Electric Force. I mean, Bonnaroo this yeah. year was really interesting because I noticed a complete demographic shift from past Bonnaroo's mm -hmm. to uh, a lot lot younger fans this year, and and I thought this is you know it's interesting, it's different. I'm not going to sit here and lament what Bonnaroo was because we have an opportunity in front of us to play in there front of go. thousands of people who obviously have not been to our shows before. But then they're like, oh, my oldest siblings or my parents told me about this band. My parents told me about this band. <laughs> they were the ones that broke Bonnaroo. It's really funny. That's uh, like, I, I feel like one of the elements of validation we're always looking for, like, man, I wish like 
you know, our sports heroes were into Umphreys or something, and more and more, it's not our sports heroes that are new, but we're like hearing from their kids who are like, dude, yeah, <laughs> that's so, awesome. Jim McMahon's, yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. Zach McMahon wrote me, he's like, yeah, man, love your band, you know. I I thought it was funny because he runs his uh, he runs his dad's social media for him, and he's kind of like his assistant. And I one day I'm like, what the hell, Jim McMahon just followed me, you know? <laughs> yeah, so that that was kind of cool. But uh, but yeah, um, th- it's uh, it's an interesting thing when that's when that's happening. But you know, whatever women, it takes. The women, is it more women, young women coming, or is it just married like guys? They were like, like their wives are like, fine, I'll go see Humphreys. Crawling you. with young women last night. It was great. Great to see. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and like I said, I think it's this uh, this festival scene that's really um, kind of helping promote that, um, and uh, that's a great thing. That's what you know. We obviously love fans of all ages, but we've got it. If we want to keep doing this for another, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, we're going to need more younger fans too. And we we are very happy that people of uh, all ages want to come to our and shows. You've done a great job as a band to be able to grow, hold on to your audience, but also bring a new audience in. And that's that's. I don't that's know if you guys have an effort on that, but such a tricky thing when you do what you do. I mean. You have uh, Derek Trucks one talks about the uh, rule of thirds. Oh, I yeah, forget yeah. who taught him it, but a third Probably of the show Bruce. is for the people who have never seen you before. A third of the show is for the people who come see you once a year, and then a third of the show is for us freaks. Uh, yeah, right? Do you ever sure one percent for you, Rob? <laughs> Do you ever have that in mind when you're writing the set list? Well, I definitely think about um, I definitely think about putting one or two kind of more obscure songs in there for the people that are you know trying to catch something that they they haven't heard in a long time. I, I pay attention to things like that. Um, but I definitely also am thinking about, I mean, I, I think for the most part when I write a set list, I'm thinking about the ends of the beginnings and ends of sets in particular, and even like the second half of set two, trying to play things that are a little more familiar to everyone and getting those songs in later to where it's going to be recognizable. I just, I don't know. I, I don't see the value of playing like a, an obscure cover or a relatively new original that people don't know late in the second set. It seems like that's an obvious mistake. And there, there have been times too, where, you know, we go out on stage, we have the set list and we're like, ah, it's a little too proggy. Yeah. (laughs) We have to change some things up because, uh, you know, the crowd's not really. Yeah. We, I remember that when we went and played St. Petersburg and this was probably one of the earlier times where we were surprised by the ratio of, uh, women to men in the audience. We walked out and we had like yeah like three or four prog songs to start and we all just looked at each other we're like <laughs> all right bailing on this bright lights let's go <laughs> yeah so that i mean that can happen that's it's definitely not a you know set and stone thing with the set list and you know i i think that's a good thing to kind of have that option as you're going through the night of uh um of you know being able to talk about it and say I feel like the audience is wanting this. I mean, we, we kind of had that last night, a little bit of a debate about, like... <laughs> um, Here's my feeling about last night. You're playing in a tin roof, and even with Chris Mitchell, who made... I, I was told by people there that room has never sounded as good as it did last night. People who local. But even so, are you inclined to play metal and aggressive stuff? Because it's, it's... Because it's, it's metal roof? Is that what yeah, you're trying to say? Yeah, or just it's not going to be... So are you roof, less inclined to play quiet, melodic stuff when metal? it's not going to be the pristine sound, even with the killer sound? Well, you probably should play the more quiet, yeah. uh, more it's, simple stuff in a room like that. It's, but. it's more about the like bigger power chords or less notes yeah. that are going to sound better. So, yeah, like a song like Booth Love, I think sounded good. Um, 
we covered Van Halen Panama. That's a good example of like these big, these, bi- these big chords. But I think that mm-hmm. like you know that's going to go over better than like Senior Mouse. Yeah, that's just going to get lost in the. But but you know it also gets to a point where you can't compromise your what you do too much to fit a certain room. You know, you just kind of especially our, us drummers yeah. like we have a ton of cymbals and it can get washy and very noty right. with with us back there. Um, um, so it, yeah. it is difficult. It's a fine line you have to kind of balance. So we got to the end of the first set last night, and we had morning. What was on paper was morning song, Panama, and uh, DDK. Yeah, and um, we'd played a lot of improv in the first set, like more than we anticipated, and it was good, you know. Um, but uh, so, for instance, we're you know we're like, okay, what should we do? We're like, well, we should definitely play some songs with with lyrics because we've done a lot of instrumental stuff, and so we decided to keep morning song. Um, keep Panama, which people seem to love. I mean, people were going kind of crazy. You're deciding this on the talkbacks, on the fly. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we did Dump City instead of DBK because we're like, okay, this will be funky, it's danceable, but it's not quite as long. We only had um, about like 12 to 15 minutes left uh, in the set that we could fit that in there. So DBK would have been too long. Does that clock in front of Brendan drive a lot of late first set decisions? Um, I'd say just any end of set kind of decisions. You know? I believe it also drives the uh, opening bands off the stage on time. Yeah. Um, well, his clock isn't out there though. Oh. You know, that's that's maybe the, that's the problem. That's the rub. <laughs> yeah, the, the Robbie Williams death stare does its does its job as well. And that's you your know? job, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about? <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. Let's talk about that. That would be uh, my co-host Rob Turner's cell phone. Wow! Yeah, so, so <laughs> yes. professional this guy. Some of us, some of us have our phones in airplane mode. Others. That was my <clears throat> other engineer too, FJ. He says hi. We did the metal thing for Timeless Music Podcast. I heard. Yeah, Jake and said he loved it. Said it went really well. And Ryan and Bobby arranged to have an amplifier there. Thank you guys both so much. <laughs> On behalf of UM fans, it's so good. You guys can listen to it December of 2027. I think it's we released. No, but let's let's Labor Day. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk though about the uh, start with starting with your opening band. You give them an opportunity. Who? from your band is the one determining that. Are you, is this, again, part of the democratic decision? But it seems like because you guys have a lot of the, the hot up-and-coming bands, be it Spafford, Big big Something, you know, bands like that. Aqueous. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that. Um, you know, it's kind of... It, it's a few different people, but um, it's always... I don't know. There are more, there's some people who who want to have input in that in the band and, and most of us don't care you know um, just about trying to find something that works that our fans are going to like and that will hopefully b- bring a few you know fence hitters that might not have come seen us but for the most part we're having a support band out there now um, you know to kind of to kind of have a little music uh, to give you know a younger band a chance to play in front of your audience mm-hmm. but also to kind of get the crowd warmed up so that when you walk out on stage um, it feels like you know they're right. like they're they're ready to go. They've already been getting down a little bit. They're loose. Well, but like you take like tonight for example, you have white denim. Now that's a great bill because you're. I feel like you're not just, you're not trying to break white denim. You're. Well, you're, they're you're actually not, fans of white denim. You're you're yeah, you're true. bringing a band that's going to bring other another demographic to see you. Sure, but it's a, it's a, it's a it's a. You know, you're not. Do, it's not like you're doing them a favor. They're going to play on on their own and whatnot. I guess the point I'm trying to say is, there's a big difference of bringing white denim on the on a, on a show like this, bigger room, than going out and and taking a band like Spafford, which 
you know, on, on multiple dates. I mean, you did almost a whole tour with them, and that was that was almost like a big brotherly thing to do. Yeah. And that's the that point was I was huge trying for them. to say. Yeah, well, you're, you're in yeah, touch we with also, your community, but we also see like a band like Spafford too, where they're they're starting to gain momentum and their numbers are building too. And you know, a lot of times the promoters will give us feedback on certain bands and because they know the numbers that they do in that certain market and you know get feedback like that. And For sure, and I think a lot of it is also. Um, bands that are represented by management or agencies that that we're friends with or even you know under the same same agency i mean we we have a lot of that happening too yeah um but uh but yeah it's i think that there's something to be said about you know getting uh i mean we've had uh we've had aqueous this year too they played with us a few times spafford like you were saying um we've got uh let's see i'm trying to think who else is uh, Sin Kane is playing with us a little bit later this year. Um, Sun Squabby is another one. So, you know, it's I, I like having the yeah this kind of like younger you know the younger blood the the hungriness that's out there and like they're going out there playing their asses off in that forty five minute slot and, and not over forty five minutes. No, right. no, definitely not. That will draw that will draw the crew's ire. Yeah, that that one worked really well. I thought that was. Uh, it, it, it started out as kind of a joke from Brian Moss and I interviewing each other, and uh, his question was, uh, "Will you sit in with us? Will Spafford sit in with Humphreys?" And you know, I answered it. I was like, "Well, it's, Spafford sitting in with Humphreys is really up to you guys. Here's what you need to do if there's a possibility of this happening." It was, and it was pretty funny because I like kind of laid out all the things to them to like not piss off our crew or like <laughs> screw anything up and uh, don't talk you, to the light guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do not look at the light guy in the face. Yeah, no eye contact with the light yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun with that, and um, yeah, and it's just uh, it's it's cool because there were a lot of bands that gave us that shot. I think when we were trying to get started, and as anybody who's been in a band trying to start a band, the hardest thing to figure out is how do you get people to come out to your show, and how do you introduce people to your band, and uh, you know, so guys like you know. Mo, Government Mule, String Cheese, they, they all had us uh, playing with them very early Disco on. Disco Biscuits. Disco Biscuits. Uh. We opened, <laughs> opened for them once, a very funny well, you night. You guys kind of grew with them. You guys were growing a lot. No, Biscuits were ahead of them. Well, they were ahead, but I mean, well, there was for, it was well, a brief And then Humphrey's group yeah. asked them. We say Biscuits are ahead of us because that then Mark will be happy, Mark Brownstein. So, you know, he, he doesn't like to hear that we came up together. We're Just, still bigger than you. I lost my brownie imitation. Yeah, you really did. Anymore. You know, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> It's just awful. Do it like Tom Waits. We're still bigger than you. As long as Bisco gets two sets. That was good. (laughs) One thing, though, John Fishman. Where's my pizza, Pops? When we were talking. He's a real brown scene. Go ahead. When we were talking to John Fishman, he said Fish stopped doing opening acts because they felt that they were wearing out their audiences and that by the, the second set he said people were leaving but I don't really know too many people who walk out of fish shows but that they kind of were saturated oh and, and past their point do, yeah, do you ever well, worry about that? I think there's a case to be made for you know I mean people's ears can only handle so much yeah. that's definitely that's definitely the truth but at the same time um, I mean for for us it's not like the entire audience is in at the uh, at the beginning of. Oh, they're still in line at getting a poster. <laughs> yeah, when they're starting. So you know, I feel like most of uh, most of the people that are coming are, are you know hearing uh, most of most of the support acts that are playing, but maybe not all of the set. 
Um, I don't know. There, that probably is true, but uh, I think it's something that um, they're also Fish was also at that point where they're selling out shows and they don't really need to have support for that reason either. But look at what they do. Their start times every time are seven thirty, but they go on stage at eight ten. So, you know. The opener. The opener's the, the audience. The opener yeah. is John Cage, four minutes and 33 seconds. The opener's right. a donut shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, All right, we're running out of time. We don't want this to become like a hostage situation or anything. <laughs> but can we talk about some of the collaborations? Um, I have a lot of Ween fan friends who were just blown away that you backed up Gene. Um, oh, yeah. How did that start? What was it like rehearsing with him? Who chose the songs? Did he bring songs he wanted to do? Or did you say, hey, let's do these? To take us into that world, please. Uh, it started uh, for Ian got him to play uh, summer camp, right? And we Yeah, I think he was booked, he was booked as uh, Aaron Freeman uh, to do uh, a set at summer camp. And they were trying to, uh, his manager, Patrick Jordan, was trying to find something else for him to do. Um, and so it came up to us. We, you know, Vince, our manager, is, is a big Ween fan. He's like, hey, I'm not pushing this anyway personally, even though I'm a huge Ween fan. But do you guys have any interest in doing Ween songs with Aaron? And, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about this is that, of course, we're interested. But immediately, all these other things kind of came into our mind. And we're like, okay, well, what does this mean if we do it? You know, and. Um, we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to ruffle any feathers or upset anybody either. They have an intense fan base. There's got to be a level of intimidation. Well, not just the mm. fan base, but the rest of the band. I mean, we're friends with some of these guys. And so we didn't want it to seem like, oh, Humphreys uh, is coming in and doing Ween now. Like, you know, Aaron doesn't think he needs, you know, the other, or what, I don't know what Whatever the perception would be. Been so when in reality, in that, yeah. yeah, it was just a fun thing you were doing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So we actually um, made sure, you know, we, we reached out to all the guys in the band and said, you know, we've been asked if we want to do this. We're only going to do it if everybody in the band Ween is cool with it because we really love you guys and we the last thing we want to do is to create drama or be in the middle of something between you. And real quick, at this point, folks, Ween had not yet reunited. Was there any sort of overture to that? Oh, and by the way, if you want to join, or is that out of line? Is that considered Yeah, no, stepping I mean, over your bounds? Who knows? I don't, you know, we didn't know what their relationship or situation was, so yeah, it was kind of just you know, let's let's take what we're given here and, and roll with it. I think the other the other part that really motivated us was at one point we were kind of, you know, still debating about it, and Vince wrote us, and he goes, well, if you guys aren't going to do it, Moe's going to do it. <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, we were like, oh, All right, we'll do it. Okay. Right. Oh, um, yeah, that's good. But, uh, but, yeah, we, you know, we reached out to him and uh, said, of course, we're really excited to be doing this, happy to do whatever you want, um, you know, or if you want us to pick some songs that we think we would sound good playing with you, we could do that. And he was pretty nonchalant about it. He was like, yeah, man, I really hate doing set lists and picking songs. Could you guys just pick a bunch and then tell me, and then I'll tell you if I like what you suggested? Did, did it come up? And did he, I, I mean, I just would imagine he goes, all right, you're a jam band. We'll just do Roses. That's, what the, that's all they that, They'll 75 minute Roses. No, did you throw him like 20 songs and then he sent you back 10 or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. But we actively tried to not play that one because, you right. know, there's, yeah. there's kind of, I don't know, at least an unwritten thing when somebody in our scene has covered a song and played it over and over again. Like, don't, there's no need for another band to, to like, 
to do that. You know, right? You never want to see one band do a weak version of a premise another band's already done ever. Is there an elephant in the room? And you don't want to you don't want to put it in regular rotation on Jam On either because it doesn't reflect well on the band. Is there an elephant in the room? There's a huge fucking elephant in the room. Let's hear it. (laughs) You're the elephant. I don't even know where you guys are going with this. (laughs) Should this be obvious to me? We're not going to talk about that. All right. Get back to but. but like you know, Fish obviously does a great job with "Roses Are Free." And the fans love it, so you know. The first time they played it was sick. But go on. Okay, so um, <laughs> so yeah, we we threw out a bunch of songs to him, and I and I think he wrote back, and he's like, "Okay, this is great. You know, this will be this will be fun." And <clears throat> and I think we did uh, "The Stranger" as well because he does the Billy Joel thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so right. We, threw, yeah. we, we did that, that one. In, too. We threw yeah, we threw that one in the mix as one uh, one sort of extra one, but. Um, you know, it was really important to us going into it. We actually got together a couple of days before summer camp and went through everything and got, like, the Ween songs cracked tight, you know? So this we is had not with him. You not guys with him. By ourselves, Okay, yeah. so then when do you first rehearse so, with him? Okay, so I'll tell you, there's there's one other funny story that there was a good elephant in the room. Um, and uh, a couple of days before the event... Uh, we get a message that hey, uh, Aaron's flying into Chicago, but needs a ride down to Peoria for the the rehearsal day you guys are doing. Uh, we think it'd be cool if he just rode with you guys down there, <laughs> and you know it's like sure, why not? Whatever. Yeah, okay, we'll find space for him. And uh, we'll put him on the crew bus. <laughs> no, this we had like a uh, we had like a I don't know what it was. We'd rented like a, a little van or an SUV or something for it, so it wasn't a situation where we had the buses. And uh, so we went by the hotel, and it was Ryan. I want to say it was Ryan, Chris, and me that were picking him up. And so we picked him up, and, uh, you know, we meet him. We're like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Cool. You know, excited to do this. Sweet. We're like, all right. It's off to a good start. We get in the car. He closes the door. Before we even leave, he's like, all right, I want to address the elephant in the room. No drinking. <laughs> no. Well, the elephant in the room was that... Um, about three or four years before, oh, I know what this is. He had he had done an interview, and <laughs> somebody had asked him, you know, like, what? Well, what happened? Like, why did Ween stop playing? He's like, dude, we had to stop playing before it became some Umphreys McGee bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and everybody's like, what? which as well, bullshit goes is great yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Well, and you know, and it was very funny. I remember waking up that day, and it was like my phone was blowing up I'm like what the hell is going on oh and they're like dude Ween, uh, Gene Ween just slandered you guys you know and, um, and so like, I remember my you. response was I was like I, I'll say this it is an absolute honor to be slandered by Gene Ween you yeah, know? yeah I, I like, remember thinking yeah, yeah. Like, wow that was cool <laughs> he, he mentioned it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so back to uh, back to back to this well and then the other the other interesting thing happened so what did that. he say right away he addresses it oh, be- before okay, I say okay. this um, Mickey wrote us an email then, like a, a couple days after that, and he was like, "Hey man, I just wanted you to know, like, we, I, they heard us at Vegas. We played right before him in 2006 or seven, and um, and Mickey was like, "Yeah, you know what, man? You guys don't suck." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, he wrote us. He was like, "You know, I like the band, and I really doubt that Aaron like." even knows your guys music he probably was just thinking like the first band that came to his head and so anyway so now and and he was like listen don't worry about it i don't want you to think like he's like he's like i think you guys are cool he probably doesn't know who you are so just you know just let it slide we're like all right cool man we'll you know we're like listen come hang with us sometime you're welcome to come anytime you know totally welcome to mickey so um so fast forward so uh aaron looks at us and he goes 
So, uh, you remember that time when I said didn't want Ween to turn into some Mumphreys McGee bullshit? And he goes, I just, I was trying to think of a different band and I couldn't think of their name and all I could think of was your band name and I just said it. What so, was he thinking? What did he mean? Limp Biscuit or something? Not gonna, not gonna say who he was trying to think of, but, uh, mm. you know, we, we like to keep things, uh, keep things mm. amicable here. But, uh, you know, not honor that, uh, that, that, uh, that circle of trust with, uh, with Aaron there as well. But uh, needless to say, it was Rob. a very, it was a that that definitely broke the ice, and then we had a, we had a lot of fun on the ride down. But there. Then Rob, so, find the tape, Rob. Find the tape. So the 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 highlight though for me was not even on stage, but it was getting in this little trailer to practice, and you know he was a little nervous, obviously, but I don't think he knew that we were going to be as together as we were on all the songs, and so like. We immediately started, you know, playing. I think we played the Grobe first, maybe, and his eyes just lit up, and he was like, you know, I don't know. There was some, there was some little like element of like this light of who Gene Ween was that was just like br- we breathed a little bit of life into that. And this is good Ween bullshit. <laughs> and uh, and immediately just saw him like having so much fun. I mean, do you remember that as well as I do? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, he was. He- he was having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Any feedback? Was he like, "Well, let's tweak oh. this here"? No. The the funniest part, I think, was after like the fourth song, we got through it, you know, and he's like, "So, like, we don't even need to practice this stuff. You guys just fucking know it, huh?" Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. So it was it was really fun, and you know, I hope that I I feel like there was at least something that we planted a little bit of a seed of like. You can, you know, Ween might be might be something that he would want to do again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, getting out onto the stage in front of all those people at summer camp, and people just loved him. They were going nuts over him, you know. Okay. And I was just so happy that we were, you know, I, I felt lucky and, and humbled that we were included in a part of that story. Well, cool. Absolutely. Rob, um, we are out of time, so we don't want to. Yeah. Well, real quick, side projects. Yeah. Any side projects you want to tell us about, Andy? We don't hear enough from you. Are you, do, are you doing any work away from Humphreys? Do you have any uh, any itches to do work away from Humphreys? Uh, I mean, if things arise, sure. But yeah, no, no side, no side projects. Joel, I have a couple things. Not you know, not as many like collaborative things as I was once doing. But I'm doing a couple uh, solo piano shows coming up. Oh, so. the, the ones where you do the Billy Joel. It's like. <laughs> Saul Billy Joel covers Billy Joel. Joel Billy Joel is yes. what I call it. Yeah, love that. Uh, you get in violation of yes sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing one in um, in Chicago and I'm doing one in New York as part of the Brooklyn Comes Alive series. Oh yeah, yeah, that that that's like everyone and everyone. And I don't think that's been announced yet, so this is some oh. exclusive info that we're closing out with. You heard it here, you heard it first. And it'll be nice to bring you down to one of our live events and pair yes, you up with we one would of love our local. Have you as get a part of that. I'm still waiting for that offer in my inbox. We normally don't. Uh, we normally do the questions ourselves because if what is I, that? hold on a second, Rob. First gonna, of all, what is in your hand? That's is the letter. Do you have an at? No, there's. That's not a letter. There's crayon on this. Will thing? you let me do the thing? Jesus. Come on, we're running out. Of, you're the one saying we're running out of time. I know, but you're right. he, okay, folks. Let me just this give you a description. The house. There's there's a piece of paper like when you lost cat and you have like the cutouts on the bottom with numbers on it. Okay, so that's what we're looking at. It's the only and paper then, that's in the house. And then on the back side of it, there's crayon. Rob, I mean, go look at this. Is this, what this is what the guy said. He said it's the only papers in his house. Normally, we don't take questions from the fans because uh, why would you do that? Especially when Joel Cummins. If you're an Humphreys McGee fan, you have a question for Joel. 
go up to Joel and ask him. Um, I just want to I want to give a little props here to the yard worker. Uh, that's Noah Pine six seven eight three three four five nine nine zero. In case you need uh, mowing lawns, clearing brush, planting, potting, blowing leaves, cleaning up, uh, you know, gutters, pruning, cleaning give, uh, up, cleaning give, up. Yeah, give Noah a, a call. Death scene or something. Give Noah a call. Noah Pine at gmail.com. No, I hope uh, hope you get some new business. I'm really into pruning. All right, so what to say on the back here? <laughs> All right, this is a question from a fan, very persistent fan. It's written in crayon. Seth and Chubby, <laughs> ask Joel and Andy, should I root for the Cubs or the Red Sox this year? And that's from a B. Bayless in South Bend, Indiana. What do you think? <laughs> do you have so, an answer? So I assume that's from Bobby Bayless then. Uh do I have an answer? Well, yeah. the nice thing is is that you can root for the Cubs and the Red Sox all the way to the World Series, can't you? Well, they never meet in the World Series. They lot, haven't uh, yet met in the World well, Series. Well, we did. In 1918, we won. In the modern era. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, obviously you're going to root for the Cubs. In all yeah. sincerity, it was amazing watching that ride. I, I, If you remember, I was calling it all year that the Cubs were going to win. But fantastic. then you went down three games to two and had to go into Cleveland. I was Three like, to one. Uh, well, three yeah, down, but the last one. two pitchers you had to face in Cleveland, that yep. was amazing. Kind of like the Red Sox ended their yeah. drought by taking those three games from the Yankees. Yep. I think winning those two games in Cleveland against those two pitchers was sick. Congratulations, Cubs fans. I mean, down in Atlanta, we were all with you, even though the Braves are around. I'm not a big, I'm not a big sports guy, but I definitely you know. it was got crazy. into that. I watched I, and I had my son, too. I just, you sat on my lap. We watched it. We yeah, it was it. all right. It was <laughs> hey, I, I cheered for the Sox when the Sox won. Let's, you know. Yeah, you did. Let that be noted. The you Sox did. dominated. Nobody even came yeah. close, right? Yeah. Only one, one you loss. S- you swept us. Only one <laughs> loss throughout the whole thing. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for yeah, all the music. Thank you, guys. More Appreciate we can get it. into. We'd love to. I uh, wanted to talk to you more about Santana and and percussion, uh, but um, we'll, we'll later at a later part time. two. Part yeah, two. Part you two. really work hard two. on what you do, and it's appreciated by many. You. And you Appreciate aren't it. you aren't a fucking assholes. You're really cool, down to earth people. God <laughs> bless that. And Joel, thank you for releasing the restraining order on Rob for this one night. Really yeah, appreciate it. I'll go right back in the crowd. I'm a team player, guys. I mean, I, I do a lot for the podcast. Stage. It's a Chastain Park Amphitheater. Andy, Joel, Seth, and myself. Nice little conversation. Great conversation for the most part. Uh, I I would like a do over. Well, certainly we're gonna get a do over with Chris Myers. Hopefully he's next up on deck whenever we sit down with Humphreys. They're not coming to Atlanta in the spring, but maybe uh maybe next summer. Maybe they're gearing up for a big summer play again. Maybe Chastain liked all the beer sales. And they'll come back to Chastain. What do you think, Seth? 
I don't know. They, that's a band that likes to change it up. I mean, Live Nation kind of has... They're a Live Nation band here, so they'll probably go back to Tabernacle. Maybe even the Roxy. Who knows what they're going to do. But Roxy seems to be doing more... Like well, like this week, they got the XX. They got I, I was going to say... LCD sound system. How were the XX last I night? I worked XX, and I thought there was some really... Uh, for, you kind of have to ease into it. And the, the bass player stage presence can get tedious after a while. You know, he's a little swanny. A little swan swanning around the stage but man they're really good they have some incredible bass lines and interplay between the guitar and and, and uh bass <clears throat> and then there was one song toward the end it had like multiple sections it got real quiet at one point and she was singing oh it's just really really strong i was i was surprised i didn't know they were that good i would say it's sort of kind of experimental brit pop alternative brit pop is that you can call it what you want well, it was to just call it pop would not be would be totally to sell the show because there were definitely some very cool inter, as I said, interplaying bass lines and weird song structures at points. They're good pop if they're. I mean, I, I just I still have a bad connotation with pop. So, but yeah, now, Lady Gaga's pop, and I'm going to go see her. Well, oh yeah, I want to see that, but I'm going to miss I'm going, that. I'm going to that. I got to see. I got to see her once. Yeah, well, I did see her special on uh, HBO. I thought it was really good. She's a very talented, very... Actually, very I didn't un- think it was that good. I, I Sorry. <laughs> I thought there were parts that were good. I thought it was interesting to see her. What, what I took the good from it was she's actually a great performer and an interesting interesting character. Uh, but like the, the, I- but the, the, the documentary or whatever you want to call it, the HBO special that they made, was so ADHD. It was so... Like, they dramatized the whole uh, studio. Like, you've been to a studio. Studios are not... Well, it's for a younger the, audience. They make it look so like rock. The thing and roll, I love about not. Lady Gaga, she can just sit down at the piano and yeah. mesmerize. So not, I don't think well, a lot, not all of those pop artists can do that. You remember her uh, when she was on Howard Stern? Oh my goodness, she's, oh, just, she's, she's been on twice now. She tears riveting. It. I think she's been on three times. Riveting performances every single time. Uh, true word on that. Uh, By so, the way, speaking of Howard Stern, he had Robert Plant on this week. That was a first, and, and that was a long time coming. That was uh, Led Zeppelin is one of his favorites, and it was just a wonderful interview. He had my William Patrick Corgan. I'm, I'm still a Billy Corgan fan, shamelessly. Slow down, backtrack. Yes, Robert Plant's a big deal. Go ahead. Yeah, so did did you listen to it? Oh, yes. Did did you talk about... Well, I didn't hear the whole thing yet. Okay. I'm did curious. you talk about what, though? Yeah, reuniting or any of that. I loved... And that's not going to happen. Well, you know, there's always talk. I was curious if I don't. He's not going to say what the reality of that is. I mean, he, I don't think Paige can play anymore. Uh, you know, at the level that he used to. What about? Uh, do you talk about Allison Krauss at all? Um, they did start to get into that when, when I was listening because you know Howard never really liked that transition. He never really got that, and I always loved it. Remember that set at Bonnaroo we saw? Oh, so you good. know who we could interview? There is a guy in Asheville, North Carolina, who was a source for a lot of those songs. Robert Plant really. Leaned on him hard, and I'd, we could do a little research and find out who that is and have him on. What do you think about that? I think that'd be great. I'm still upset about Gordon Hayward. Thoughts and praises to Gordon Hayward from Inside Out WTNS. <sighs> Brutal. All right, let's play this little game. And well, get hold out. on. Moving forward, uh, just a quick update. We uh, just interviewed. Uh, well, we're going to do a, a special on Thievery Corporation. We we had the uh, the show came through town the other day. Yes, we spoke with a. Uh, the drummer. Yeah, Jeff. Who also is with Congo Sanchez. Jeff Franca. Or Franca or Franca. He said either way is fine. Yeah. I, I, like, it's I, just, I, I really watch, enjoy watching you stumble through that, though, in front of him. Uh, but that was a good interview. He was really interesting, and, I, and I'm really, really excited to share it with you guys. No, but, well, we, no, but seriously, this is good. a good sign when we are 40, 50 minutes in, 
and he has sound check and he's so excited that he's like let me come back goes and does a sound check and comes running right back we did another 40 50 minutes right yeah just about yeah it was great and we interviewed the tour manager or excuse production. me production manager i'm sorry chip smith very that was a pretty cool interview well we could maybe patch that together with john dindus or something we could we could do we something. still have that dindus in the can oh Dindus in the can. Mm. Uh, coming up also this week, uh, Rob that's and I how, are going to be interviewing that's Anders how I get Beck the- from Green Sky Bluegrass. So then I think that's going to be a fantastic one as well. Go ahead, Rob. What were you going to say? No. The moment's gone. Uh, so, the moment ends. The moment ends. So I feel... Are you going to read something now and I have to pick the publication? Yes. Yes. Let's see here. All right. Are you ready? Oh, hey. All right. Here you go. This one makes sense. This one makes sense to do. Is this jambands.com? Jambase.com or liveforlivemusic.com? Yes. One of those three? Yep. Are you ready? All right. Go ahead. Omfries McGee to debut two songs on vinyl ahead of new album's release. Yesterday, we reported on the forthcoming new record by Omfries McGee called It's Not Us, to be released in honor of the band's 20th anniversary. Wow, 20 years, huh? Set to be released on January 12th, It's Not Us is somewhat of a mystery, with very few details released at this time. However, buried in the list of releases scheduled for this year's Record Store Day Black Friday, the band announced a limited edition vinyl single, each side occupied by a new song from It's Not Us. On November 24th, Humphreys will release... 1,000 12-inch custom die-cut records with one track from It's Not Us on either side. The Silent Type on side A and Looks on side B. Both are brand new songs. Both, sorry, are brand new songs that haven't ever been road tested before. The description lists The Silent Type as classic um. It's infectious riff rock, the musical equivalent of the record's unique shape, swaying through your turntable. Looks is described as an up-tempo driving composition planned by virtuoso guitarist Jake Sinager. Classic um, infectious riff rock, up-tempo driving composition. Now an advertisement. And then, these phrases should get any fan of Umbers McGee really excited. If you are, in fact, excited and interested in purchasing the record, you can check out the local record store by carrying the silent type looks by visiting Record Store Day Black Friday. And that is the article. Are any of the uh, names bolded? Yes. I'm going to go with Live for Live Music. Ding, 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 yes. ding. Yes. Now, let's see if we find the same article on Jambase. Or rather, jambands.com. Umphrey's McGee to webcast New York Run. Well, no, that's not it. That's in the past, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. These are all just This like... is dazzling radio ah, right now. So. Here we go. Here we go. Umphrey's McGee announces a new album. What's it called again? Uh, it is called It's Not Us. And, well, totally different article. Okay, so that was interesting. Hey, fans, now it's time to go ahead and play Seth's one. Phone. <laughs> Seth's phone. That's Seth's phone, listeners. Thank you. Finally. Thank you. Uh, okay, Rob, this one's for the fans. Oh, look, they released one of the little videos. This one's for the fans. You ready? Are go you ahead. ready? Okay, fans, I'm going to play a little jam for you here. And... Oh wait, Rob. Not, Rob's like, what are you doing there, dude? What's their video Just, thing? It's now, Rob, pretend you can hear this because you don't have your headphones on. But I'm going to play this little bit of a jam for you, and you email us at insideoutwtns at gmail Do not use your Sazam. Just email us and let us know if you know who this is. All right, here we go. Wow. 
right. That was your hint there, folks. I want you to go ahead and email us inside out, WTNS at gmail.com and let us know who that is. Rob, what do you got going on this over there? This is the tour. They did one of those tour videos. Who? Humphreys. Oh, okay. they, they used to be funny. Now it's just like a typewriter. Oh, I see R2-D2. Um, Jake's uh, board, you know, his effects board. Oh, here comes a car. Apologize. Uh, they used to make some hilarious ones. Have you seen some of these? Oh, a Day in the no. Life. Yeah, the Forrest Gump one's my favorite. Yes, and that's a thing about Joel and Ryan that really gets me. I think I've mentioned this before. <laughs> that they're very talented as musicians, and they can they can act too. They can act. Fuck you, man. That's like too much talent for one person. It should distribute the talent across the populace more. Not so much in like one person, right? I mean, no, I disagree. I, th- I think the talent Ugh. is fine to have. I mean, unfair. Well, it's that's not a, fair. It's oh okay. my god! Oh my god! <laughs> that's so frustrating, Rob. Sometimes you frustrate me, and today's episode probably frustrated you, listeners, because I know we're kind of all over the place. But it is like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Rob did just throw coffee down my throat. Yeah, and uh, we got a, we had a coupon too, so we got it for for a song. <laughs> Rob. What do we have coming up? Um, we have Vince Herman. We're not sure when yet because we're going to try to squeeze an extra one in. But, folks, but look for Vince Herman. Look for Brock Butler. Look for, um, oh, the, the um, String Dusters. Oh, what a, what a nice chat we have with those boys. And then we're sitting down, as you said, with Anders. 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 That's right. It's Anders Osborne. Anders back. Excuse me. It took me about 10 years. <laughs> And we have other things, um, Dave from the Motet, who's a Boston boy. We're going to sit down with him. Yeah, Dave Motet coming through. And uh, gosh, can you believe it's already going to be November? Halloween's coming up. What are you going to be dressed up as this year, Rob? Uh, I'm going to be working at the Roxy, so I'll be dressed up as a VIP host probably by Box 10. Come up and see me. Insert cricket sound. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully Rob doesn't edit that piece out. Yeah, and if, if if you're still going here, it's because we were able to get the Ocean Billy from Chastain, which features Jim Laughlin, who's now a Georgia resident, and he's a friend of, of the show. This is shortly after. You know, we might have had an assist on this sit-in because we brought him. They knew he was there, but we brought him backstage so that when he walked out of our interview, he walked right into the band room and was hanging out with them. And we, of course, stayed out of there because we're not musicians. We just kind of slithered out of there. But next thing we know, there are plans for him to sit in. Right, Seth? Yeah, man, that's all you, Rob. I appreciate you throwing me the credit there, but I had nothing to do with that. Uh, well, actually, tour, uh, stage manager Robbie Williams, again, was to credit for that. He pointed out Jim and said, yeah, I asked him if he would talk to you. He basically made it happen. There you go. Hey, plus Jim's just a great guy and very approachable, and I, I don't have a problem, and I wouldn't moving forward, because I have a feeling if Jim didn't want to do it, he'd be able to tell me no, so that's comforting. It is. Now, Rob Chastain. Umphreys, chatty crowd, high energy. I points chatty. I points they listened. What about the more lights? chatty than usual? Umphreys. What do you like? Did you- the lights were really cool. Waffle kind of forced him out of his own. Didn't have the usual. Even though it was a big room for him, he did, it's not the usual grid. But he did a great job. Actually, I'm not a big fan of the um, fuck chance or the fuck you chance. I'm often very critical. But when Brennan got the crowd to say fuck you. Jeff Waffle, I thought that was... Oh, it was Waffle's birthday. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that yeah, made yeah. all the stupid other fuck chants worth it, because that was, that's a good that's a good fuck chant. Fuck you, Jeff. Well, I, I never thought of that. Fuck you, Jefferson, I think was the exact. Great, great. Genius. Brandon's a genius at times. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you guys. 
He so. ain't he ain't no Diablo. He a genius. Jim from Mo for this one. We're making it a party.
Jim from Mo, everybody. <laughs>